Blog Talk Radio. $15 an hour. 
here are seven reasons why. Momentum is building to raise the minimum wage, but several states have already taken action. Um, you know, uh, and Connecticut has boosted to 1010 by 2017, and Maryland legislators approved a similar measure. Minnesota makers, Minnesota, Minnesota lawmakers have reached that deal to hike it to 950. Whoopie, whoopie, whoopie. You know, Why don't we turn on that audio? Seattle is considering $15. But let, let's listen to Robert White and why, right. why we should get to $15 an hour. I agree with him. Democrats are getting ready for a major push to raise the federal minimum wage to $10.10 an hour. Now, that's better than nothing, but it is not enough. The minimum wage should be raised to $15 mm-hmm. incrementally over the next three years. I agree with that. Here are seven reasons why. One, had the minimum wage of 1968 been adjusted for inflation, it would be well above $10 an hour today. But the typical worker day is also more than twice as productive as that. Adjusted for both inflation and productivity gains, therefore, the minimum wage should be at least $15 an hour. Two, $10.10 an hour is not enough to lift all workers and their families out of poverty. This is especially true for millions of low-wage workers who want full-time jobs but can only work and find part-time work. Most low-wage workers are not teenagers. They're major breadwinners for their families. Three, because some employers now pay wages that don't lift their employees out of poverty, the rest of us pay for their Medicaid, food stamps, housing, and other assistance, in effect subsidizing these low-wage employers. Some, like McDonald's, actually advise their employees to use public programs because their pay is just too low. Four, some jobs may be lost if the minimum is raised to $15, but many more people will be lifted out of poverty. And because low-wage workers will have more money to spend, their spending will create many more jobs. Five, such a wage increase is more likely to come out of profits than be passed on in higher prices because most employers of low-wage workers are in intense competition for customers. Six, since Republicans will no doubt try to push Democrats to go even lower than their $10.10 proposal, it's doubly important to be clear about what's right in the first place. Democrats should be talking about a bigger increase, not listening to Republican demands for a smaller one. Seven, and finally, at a time in our nation's history when 95% of all economic gains are going to the top 1%, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour isn't just smart economics. It's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of sense to me. Okay. Women deserve equal pay for equal work. Most Republican lawmakers say they believe in fair and equal pay for women, but a day after Equal Pay Day, when Republican senators had a chance to vote for a bill that would have gone a long way to achieving that goal, not a single one cast a vote to just to allow a debate on the Paycheck Fairness Act, let alone pass it. Not one Republican vote to have equal pay for women. And that includes women who are voting in there. Today's vote marks the third time in recent years that Republicans have killed legislation that could play a major role in closing the wage gap between men and women. On average, women earn 70 cents, 77 cents for every dollar men earn. The gap is even wider for women of color. The Paycheck Fairness Act would close loopholes and strengthen current equal pay laws, including strengthening penalties that courts may impose for equal pay violations and prohibit retaliation against workers who inquire about disclosure information about employers' wage practices. The bill also would require employers to show pay disparity is truly related to job performance and not gender. On Tuesday, President Barack Obama signed an executive order covering federal contractors mirroring the provision of legislation barring employer retaliation 
and requiring employers to provide information about their employees' pay along with race and gender. Senator Barbara Mikulski, a Democrat of Maryland and chief sponsor of the bill, said after the vote, though we lost the vote, we refused to lose the battle. We are going to continue to fight to get equal pay for equal work. After all senators had cast the votes on the bill, it was clear it would fall short of the needed 60 votes. Senator Majority Leader Harry Reid, Nevada, changed his yes vote to a no to allow him under Senate rules to bring the bill back later this year. This made the final tally 53 to 44. Hey, guess what? The Koch brothers, notorious Koch brothers, uh, David and Koch may have spent millions of dollars opposing President Obama's affordable care act, but they didn't stop them from benefiting from the law. The Associated Press reports on Tuesday that Koch Industries received $1.4 million in subsidies from a $5 billion program established by the Affordable Care Act to help employers and states maintain coverage for individuals 55 and older who are not eligible for Medicare. Okay. Think progress. First, notice that Koch applied for the program in August of 2010. Uh, uh, among other critics of the law, including state-run programs in Texas and more than a dozen members of the Board of Directors of U.S. Uh, Congress and Commerce, uh, which has spent millions to support Republican causes. The Lila will continue. Ironically, in 2011, House Republicans continued to a press release uh, characterizing the early retiree grants of the five billion bailout fund, state government. Fortune 500 companies and Hollywood unions, like many provisions and accounting gimmicks in the health care law, it has largely escaped public scrutiny because of the sheer volume of programs and spending crammed into the law without scrutiny or congressional oversight. The Republicans on the Energy and Commerce Committee wrote a year after Koch and other prominent funders applied and received grants from the program. The early retiree provision resembles one passed by Republicans in 2003, which gave subsidies to employers who offered drug coverage to their retirees before Medicare D program went into effect in 2006. As the New York Times explained, the goal of them was the same as it is today, to discourage those employers from terminating those programs, which would have saddled the government and seniors with higher costs. This isn't the first time critics of the law have taken advantage of its provisions. Just last week, Republican members of Congress praised the Obama administration for keeping open a call center dedicated to enrolling people into the law after the initial enrollment period while others have requested grants funded under ACA, Texas Governor Rick Perry even encouraged some Texans to sign up for coverage in the federally run health care exchange in an effort to save the state money. He wouldn't fund it, though, or vote no, for it. No, but it works, it works out for them in some ways. So they, no, they want the money. That's all they care about. They don't want you to get coverage. Uh, I think that overall, Colorado. Excuse me. Let's let's do some union news before you go into that, please. Okay. Well, Colorado airports ban marijuana, but try to help passengers. The whole the whole marijuana thing is so crazy. Senate okay's jobless jobless benefits renewal. More than three months after the House Republican leaders allowed the Emergency Unemployment Compensation Benefits Program to expire, nearly 2.8 million jobless workers have lost their economic uh, life. You're going to have to, sorry, to uh, drink some water or something, Leo. I have a bad game. Nearly 2.8 million jobless workers have lost their economic lifeline. Monday... Monday, the U.S. Senate gave those workers a ray of hope when it passed 59 to 38, 
a bill reviving the program for long-term jobless workers. Now it's up to, to the House to keep that hope alive. Well, here's something. Four frightening facts about the influence of the NRA. What would American politics be with, with, without the outsized influence from the NRA? In this case, however, we're talking about the National Restaurant Association, which uses an army of lobbyists to fight against the rights of working families who do all the work that make them their profit. The industry that brings in $600 billion a year in revenue is a leader in fighting against raising the minimum wage and increasing wages for tip workers, paid sick days, and food safety rules. Okay. What else is there? This is by Kenneth Cannell. This is from the AFL-CIO blog. According to a news report from the Restaurant Opportunities Center, United. Here is how the advocacy group represents McDonald's, Taco Bell, KFC, the Walt Disney Company, Red Lobster, Olive Garden, among others. It uses its profits to make life worse for its employees. The National Restaurant Association spent more than $2.5 million on 37 registered congressional lobbyists in 2013. The top nine NRA members hired another 127 lobbyists to work on that, their behalf. This includes Darden Restaurant, that's Red Lobster and Olive Garden, Disney, Yum Brands, that's Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut, McDonald's, Marriott, Aramar, Sodexo, Starbucks Coffee, and Coca-Cola Company. Four of the NRA lobbyists were named to the Hill's top lobbyists of 2013 list. The National Restaurant Association doubled how many lobbyists it paid between 2008 and 2013. So they're out there spreading the joy to your Congress. That's why you can't get anything passed. They're spreading the love. Well, it says closing the wage gap between men and women would add nearly half a trillion dollars to the national economy and boost the G GDP by 2.2 to 3 percent. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's please, amazing. please. Yeah, drink sorry. some water. I've drank a lot of water. I just have hiccups. I'm well, sorry. Well, you have to. So I will we'll, we'll continue. Well, stop hiccuping so we can... We hear. have the people behind us. We ha They have the money... And at the end of the day, the people will be stronger than the money. Bernie Sanders. I don't know what the hell he's talking about there, but okay. All right. And let's go. Here are some headlines from the Working Families News we're reading today. Obama signs actions taking aim at gender pay gap. Equal pay day in New Jersey. Pay gap exists across all demographics for working women all across today. The state today, many feel just like another working day, but it's actually much more. Today is Equal Pay Day. They try to focus on that. Democrats seize unequal pay as a midterm issue. On March 9th, Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott, the state's Republican candidate for governor, appeared on a Dallas TV station and was asked a straightforward question. I guess he didn't agree with that because he's not going to support equal pay. Pressure mounts for a higher federal minimum wage. Work is on edge. One of the most significant contributing causes of the widening inequality and insecurity in America's workforce is the accelerating shift to what economists call contingent employment. I'm not sure what that is. Let's see if I can find out a little more. I never heard that term, contingent employees. This is from the American Prospect. One of the most significant contributing causes of widening inequality and insecurity in the workforce is what economists call contingent employment. This means any form of employment that is not a standard payroll job with a regular peg check. It can take the form of temp, 
contract work, part-time jobs, or jobs with irregular hours. A study by the GAO found that fully one-third of the U.S. workforce, or 42.6 million workers, was contingent, meaning in work arrangements that is not long-term, year-round, or full-time employment with a single employer. It is a common myth that the shift to precarious, irregular employment reflects either the structure of the new digital economy or the preference of workers themselves. But in reality, most contingent work is the result of efforts by employers to undermine wages, job protections, and worker bargaining power. What that could do, what that could be, and once was, standard payroll employment is turned into substandard jobs because corporations just prefer it that way. And much of this shift is illegal, even though the laws are weakly enforced. A leading scholar of this phenomenon, Professor Arne Kalleberg of the University of North Carolina, says that the rise of contingent work has led to pervasive job insecurity, the growth of dual earner families, and a 24-7 work schedule for many workers. These changes in work have in turn magnified social problems such as poverty, work-family conflicts, political polarization, and disparities by race, ethnicity, and gender. At the heart of contingent work is the misclassification of regular workers as independent contractors. Practices that deprive workers of income, benefits, and such workers' compensation and rights to form bargaining units and, de and deprives government of, and this deprives government of tax revenues. While some contractors are truly independent, high-paid professionals working in the Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and New York financial industry, while enjoying the flexibility of their various relationships with the companies that give them assignments, many more are low-paid workers who are misclassified. A fiscal policy. Institute study of the New York State workforce in 2005 found that 10.6% of the private sector workforce was misclassified. Similarly, a study done by the U.S. Department of Labor in 2000 reported that as many as 30% of employers misclassified some of their employees. Some of the employers who misclassify their employees as contractors do so in error, <coughs> Excuse me, which is perhaps not surprising. Given the vagueness of the statutes defining employment and the complexity of case law, however, in Senate's testimony in 2010, Deputy Secretary of Labor Seth Harris charged that much more worker misclassification is intentional. Employers do this, he continued, in order to reduce labor costs by about 30%, in part by not making required contributions to unemployment insurance, workers' compensation funds, by doing so, lawbreakers gain an unfair competitive advantage over honest employers. So port truck trucking is rife with misclassification. Ironically, the passage of the deregulation law that opened the way for independent contracting in the trucking industry the Federal Motor Carrier Act of 1980 was hailed by liberals in the business community alike as a triumph policy reform. Senator Edward Kennedy and Ralph Nader led the reformers who charged that trucking regulations produced high rates for consumers and monopoly profits for business. Large shippers lobbied Congress for an end to the rate setting and route planning, which limited competition and drove up the cost of freight transportation. Civil rights organization, uh, organization argued that deregulation would lower the barriers that impeded African Americans from gaining decent truck, truck jobs. Despite these high oaths, deregulation wrecked the industry. Before 1980, trucking companies had to get a license from Interstate Commerce Commission to haul freight to and from ports. The ICC limited the number of trucks to assure stability. The resulting rights structure was sufficient for companies to make stable profits while providing workers with decent incomes and benefits. 
The International Brotherhood of Teamsters organized and bargained for most of the poor truckers who received wage and benefit packages comparable to those of auto workers, steel workers, and over-the-road truckers. Deregulation changed this. New companies entered the industry, hiring drivers that were non-union. Established companies faltered. Some went non-union, others out of business. The surviving firms adopted a new business model. They sold all or most of their trucks to the drivers, then contracted with them on a Pearl Hall basis. The emerging model meant trucking companies had few fixed costs, had no responsibility for workers' compensation or unemployment insurance funds contributions, paid no Social Security tax, and were able to obtain driver's services without paying for health care costs or pensions. That's pretty bad. So, you know, there are problems here. A lot of problems. Another industry where misclassification is a critical issue is package delivery, where United Parcel treats its workers as employees. While its competitor, FedEx Ground, treats its 27,000 delivery drivers as independent contractors. So they don't get anything from the companies either. The construction industry is the most common um, for misclassification. 14.8% of construction workers in New York were misclassified. One of the most common violations, particularly on Upstate construction suites are multi-layered subcontracting and trades such as drywall and roofing and masonry and painting. The prime contractor on the project will subcontract work to a company that is registered for UI and workers' compensation. The company supervises and controls all of the work in a particular trade. However, the subcontractor will then hire crews of workers on a, either a permanent or temporary basis and designate the foreman of the crew as a second-tier subcontractor. The subcontractor on these cases and crews they hire are often from out of state, which makes the process of recovering underpayments more difficult. Pretty awful. Yeah. And the impact on workers is terrible. Lower wages, no benefits. Pretty awful for people. Not enough, no government revenue. The government loses revenue. It's hard to keep programs uh, solvent when you have people not paying their fair share. Well, I think we're going to go to a quick music break, but after I want to talk about Al Sharpton's secret work as the FBI informant. You know, you've heard about this today, maybe? Uh-huh. But I thought it was very interesting because, you know, I like those. <laughs>
Al Sharpton's secret work as an FBI informant. I've known FBI informants, and they're they're real sons of, sons of bitches, you know. And when friends and family members gather recently at the White House for a private celebration of Michelle Obama's 50th birthday, one of the invited party goers was former paid FBI informant uh, uh, Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton. The same man attended February state dinner in honor of French President Francois Hollande. He was uh, seated with his girlfriend at a table adjacent to President Barack Obama, who was likely unaware that, uh, according to federal agents, his guest once interacted with members of four of New York City's five organized crime families. Even secretly taped some of those wise guys using a uh, briefcase that FBI technicians outed with a recording device, outfitted with a recording device. The high-profile Obama supporter was also on the dais atop the U.S. Capitol steps last year when the president was sworn in for a second term. He was seated in front of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, two rows behind Beyonce and Jay-Z, and about 20 feet from Eric Holder. Well, they're all they're all informants in the CIA. The country's top law enforcement officer, as head of the Department of Justice, Attorney General Holder, uh, leads an agency that once reported that Obama's inauguration guests also had La Costa Nostra contacts beyond Gotham and engaged in conversations with LCN members from other parts of the United States. Former mob snitch, snitch has, has become a regular in the White House, where he has met with the 44th president in the East Room, the Roosevelt Room, the Oval Office, and he has also attended Obama's Christmas parties, speeches, uh, policy announcements, and even watched the Super Bowl with the first family. An evening, the man has uh, called one of the highlights of his life. And during these gatherings, he has mingled with president, uh, with cabinet members, top Obama aides, military leaders, business executives, and members of Congress. His former Confederates were a decidedly dicier lot, ex-convicts, extortionists, heroin traffickers, and mob henchmen. The man, uh, sur- surreptitious recordings, FBI records, show, records show, aided his government government handlers and the successful uh, targeting of powerful mafia figures with nicknames like Benny F- Eggs, Chin, Fritzy, Cork, Cork, Corky, and Baldy Dome. Late, later that week, uh, Obama will travel to New York and appear in a Manhattan hotel ballroom at the same, at the side of the man whom FBI agents primarily refer to as CI-7 short for Confidential Informant Number 7, in secret court filings. In those documents, investigators uh, announced vouchers, uh, investigators vouched for him as a reliable, productive, and accurate source of information about underworld figures. Jesus Christ. The ex-informant has been one of Obama's most unwavering backers, a cheerleader who has nightly bludgeoned the president's Republican opponents and televised broadcasts. For his part, Obama has sought the man's counsel, embraced him publicly, and saluted his, his commitment to fight injustice and equality. Yeah. The president has been commented favorably on his friend's svelte figure, the uh, physical manifestation of a rehabilitation effort that coincided with Obama's ascension to the White House. This radical makeover has brought the man, uh, wealth, a daily TV show, bespoke uh, suits, a uh, luxury Upper West Side apartment, and a lot of bestseller lists. And a spot on bestseller lists. Most importantly, he has the ear of the President of the United States, an equally remarkable and perplexing achievement from the former FBI asset known as CI-7 the Reverend Al Sharpton. A lengthy investigation by the smoking gun has uncovered remarkable details about Sharpton's past, 
as an informant for a joint organized crime task force comprised of FBI agents and New York Police Department detectives, as well as his dealings with an assortment of wise guys. Beginning in the mid-1980s and spanning several years, Sharpton's cooperation was fought with, uh, with danger since the FBI principal targets were leaders of the Genovese crime family, the government's largest and most feared mafia outfit, in addition to aiding the FBI New York Police Department Task Force, which was known as the Genovese Squad, Sharpton's cooperation extended to several other investigative agencies. So this guy was involved with the government for years. Uh-huh. You know? well, that's how he got ahead. Yeah, of course. Now they made him some kind of, and then he ran for president, and he became, you know. He's All on the, our tax dollars. a big, fat, motherfucking prick, you know. And it's like, uh, you know. Okay. TSG's account of Sharpton's secret life as CI-7 is based on hundreds of pages of confidential FBI affidavits, uh, documents released by the Bureau in response to Freedom of Information Act requests, court records, extensive interviews with six members of Genovese squad, as well as other law enforcement officials when the activists uh, provide assistance. I mean, this, this article goes on, folks, and it goes on for quite a ways. But I'm going to tell you something. If you listen to this bastard, you listen to this SOB, okay, and, and put any faith in this son of a bitch, then you're, you're as crazy as anybody else in this world, all right? So, you know, it's a sick, sick, sick situation. Get the hell out of it. Okay. Violent anti-African race riot rocks Israel. Black and women, black men and women are beaten. So a little audio on this.
see if there's something else here. Navy to test electronic magnet gun aboard high-speed vessel in 2016. 2016. The U.S. Navy tests the capability of its high-powered electromagnetic rail gun. The service has announced its goal of testing the weapon at sea okay, in 2016. This, this is a little bit worrying because it could come here. Taxman's plan for covert raids on family bank accounts is branded illegal, extremely worrying, and, ex and excessive. This is in England. Experts have branded plans to give the taxman the power to raid individuals' bank accounts without their permission, extremely worrying, excessive, and potentially illegal. The unprecedented access revealed in the budget statement could result in money taken being taken from innocent families, MPs were told yesterday. The powers were outlined as part of measures to clamp on down on tax avoidance. This would allow HM, that's His Majesty's Revenue and Customs, to seize unlimited amounts of money directly from the bank accounts of anyone they believe owes more than a thousand pounds in taxes. That's pretty scary. Yeah. His Majesty's Revenue and Customs claims the new rules would be used to target ruthless tax dodges. I doubt it. They'll be making plenty of mistakes. And then how do you get your money back? You never get it back. This is the confiscation scheme. Yep. That's what they're doing. Let's see what else they say in that. I find that very... It's coming to the United States, too, folks. Let's see. They're going to have this change in about 12 months. So the tax authority had a long track record of making mistakes and harassing innocent taxpayers and that it could end up targeting the wrong people. Yep. Yeah, good luck with this. This is very dangerous. God, I hope it doesn't come here. Pretty scary. I think. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um. I mean, you work all your life to try to save some money, and then, you know, They'll come in and just take it, and then how are you going to get back? Because they have tons of lawyers paid for by your tax dollar, and you have to hire somebody. But you don't have enough money because they've taken it. So it's great, great system. Well, Bernie Sanders of Vermont, independent of Vermont, says uh, on the middle class, uh, so the Burlington Free Press and USA Today online that he runs for, if, if he runs for president, he will focus on why the middle class is disappearing, why we are the only country in the industrialized world to have health care for all to not, people. To not have health care. And yet we spend so much money per capita than other countries. What are we doing about the climate change? The Sanders will visit the Institute of whatever the hell. Uh, I don't, I don't know what politics I have from college. I, I don't agree with him because cause he's a, such a Zionist. Mm. Okay, he's an absolute Zionist, and you know he may he may have the right answers for for a lot of issues, but you know when it comes right down to it, he'd throw us into war, you know, over over Israel. He's a dual citizen. You know, police arrest twelve for illegal wolf hunting. You know, uh, but you know I I just don't trust the guy. This is a major financial source just published shocking details about a research report by two employees at the Federal Reserve Bank. The 36-page report applauds the use of capital controls in global markets. 
if you're unfamiliar with the term capital controls, it's probably because we tend to avoid them in the United States in favor of free market economy. If you take a look around the globe, you see, see, see several recent example, examples, almost always from countries experiencing currency crisis. Let's see what this is. Capital controls are simply laws that regulate and restrict what you are allowed to do with your money by regulating the flow of cash in and out of a national economy. The law defines such things as where you can invest your cash and how you can allocate your assets. If you take a look around the globe, you'll see several recent examples, almost always from countries experiencing a currency crisis. In Cyprus, some citizens cannot withdraw or write checks for more than 300 pounds per day from their own accounts. These controls were put in place after the Greek debt crisis of 2012. In Iceland, capital controls imposed in 2008 have blockaded offshore investors from selling 7.2 billion in assets. That one I understand. In Argentina, citizens must pay an extra tax on vacations abroad. In the Ukraine, recent tensions sparked a series of capital controls. Ukrainians must wait six working days before making any type of foreign currency purchase. In addition, they cannot exchange more than the equivalent of 5,800 USDs within a given time period. You might be wondering, how are these draconian laws a useful tool for managing financial stability? Well, the Fed research claims that capital controls would protect the U.S. dollar from the effects of rapid cash movement. Of course, the only countries that are worried about capital controls are those deeply worried about currency crisis. Mm -hmm. So that's something to think about. Well, um. oh, let's see. Screen the news. Innocent man freed from prison. Jonathan Fleming, convicted in killing despite the vaccination alibi, freed after 24 years. Jonathan Fleming, 51, was found guilty in 1989 in the death of Dale Rush in Williamsburg, neighborhood of Brooklyn, and served the next 24 years and eight months in prison. According to Kings County uh, District Attorney's Office, he was released Tuesday afternoon.
not reading that No, I read it just right. I always had faith. I knew that this day would come someday. He then talked about his plans for the future. I'm going to eat dinner with my mother and my family. I'm going to live the rest of my life. Poor guy. Yeah, that's 25 years. How old is he?
jumping in and taking money out of your retirement plan, and they don't want to tell you how much. You can't decipher it in simple English, and they're not interested in disclosing it or having any transparency about it. And most of the people that look at their 401ks have no idea that these fees are being taken out. No. Where would you find it? Where would you find these fees in this perspective? There are legal fees, trustee fees, transactional fees, stewardship fees, bookkeeping fees, binders fees, and the list goes on and on. Miller's committee has heard testimony that they can eat up half the income in some 401k plans over a 30-year span, but he has not been able to stop it. We tried to just put in some disclosure and transparency in these fees, and we felt the full fury of that financial lobby. The 401k law was also written to keep your money trapped on Wall Street, only to be invested in a select group of mutual funds. The only way to get it out while you're young is to pay a fee. So you can't use your own savings to invest in a business, rental property, or anything outside of a Wall Street commission. After that, the plan from Wall Street is that if you allow them to manage your money for three decades, you should be in the lowest tax bracket when you make withdrawals. Do you think the stockbrokers and mutual fund managers personally plan on being in the lowest tax bracket when they retire? By giving employers tax credits and deductions for setting up 401ks and even matching contributions, the U.S. government is literally subsidizing the biggest Wall Street banks and investment houses. Currently, there is roughly $3 trillion in 401k plans, with an average all-in cost annual fee of 2.58% according to Fidelity. This equals $77.4 billion for Wall Street every year in just fees. Not to mention the amount of liquidity this provides to the professional traders. The brilliance in this scam is that it has conditioned Americans into believing that the stock market is where retirement and savings belong. Because when you add up IRAs, 401ks, annuities, and other retirement strategies, that number is closer to $20 trillion. Recently, President Obama announced a plan to require businesses to automatically enroll their employees in IRA plans. This is reminiscent of the payroll tax withholding of the 1940s, which would put the government just one step away from being able to confiscate our retirement accounts in the future. Obama is already selling a Myra, telling Americans it would be an account with good returns and no risk. In October of 2010, the National Seniors Council stated, a recent hearing sponsored by the Treasury and Labor Department marked the beginning of the Obama administration's efforts to nationalize the nation's pension system and to eliminate private retirement accounts, including IRAs and 401k plans. We're all dead, They'll do what they think We're is necessary. They'll use force and they'll use intimidation and they'll use guns because you can't challenge the state. They're quite capable. Uh, the people I know in Washington are saying, well, you've got to save the country. You can buy treasury bills from now on. So, uh, no, I think that's, uh, that's very possible. There are plenty of alternatives to a 401k, starting with your own business, investments, specialized accounts that banks use themselves that are completely outside of the banking sector, cash-flowing farmland and rental properties. Gambling your hard-earned wealth in a 401k shouldn't be an option, which is why FutureMoneyTrends.com has put together a special report on the best alternative to a 401k. The report is free. Simply visit FutureMoneyTrends.com slash 401k to learn more about how you can receive this free report. All right, folks. That was it. I yeah. want to thank you for joining us. A little bit discouraging, though, huh? Very discouraging, but nevertheless, uh, that's our show tonight. We hope you uh, support unions, uh, check into your 401ks, you know, screw Al Sharpton. Please don't listen to that son of a bitch. Uh, you know, screw Wall Street, and just, you know, it makes sense, folks. It just makes sense. Now, that's hard to do in today's world. Yeah. Well, good night, everybody. Have a good rest. Talk to you.